recording. Uh, welcome to the first episode of Cardboard Tales and Pints of Ale, a new podcast by two guys called Matt from the West Midlands who spend too much time playing and thinking about games and drinking ales. Today we're in Warsaw at the lovely Fountain Inn, just, just outside the town centre. Matt, this is your regular pub, right? It is my regular pub. And Do you want to uh, tell us a bit about it? Well, yeah, it's um, it's a little pub just on, in the centre of town. Um, it's run by family like uh, John, Jackie and their daughter Scarlett. And last year they won the uh, Camera Warsaw Pub of the Year, which is rightly deserved. It's got just, got, just a great vibe, really. It's a what black- makes it special? Well, it's um, the beer's good to start with, and that is... It's backyard brew house. Um, but also, it's things that they do here, like they put on like a vinyl night, and you get a 15 minute slot. And then there's things like uh, film night on a Monday, and on the Wednesday they do like a sewing club kind of thing. And then also John, who's like an, he used to be an art um, lecturer at Warsaw Art College, he puts on like a drawing night and stuff. So it's just got a really great vibe to it. Nice, just nice. the sort of place you want to come in. So, drink, really. so have they got a board game night? No. They no, uh, they don't. And some I know somebody who does come and play games here, but uh, it was not a regular thing. But do you ever come here and play games? I have played. I played with you. Oh uh, um, yeah, we did. We played. What do we play? Oh, uh, game of Thrones. You know that. Yeah. Um, what, the Hand of the King is it? You know yeah. that card game with you put tiles down and move. Um, it's there. nice. It's quite a light kind of fast game, isn't it? It was light, and it's but there's a little bit of tactics to it but again yeah it's not it's not something that's gonna like absolutely melt your brain down you know uh, which you don't want because we're melting our brains with beer well, <laughs> <laughs> um so one thing we're going to do on this podcast is is we're going to record in pubs um but, uh, but we're also going to talk about our kind of alternative pub games so i've looked on the shelf here and you know they've got backgammon they've got cards they've got maybe like scrabble Skittles, things like that. You know, that's not the kind of game. Skittles. Skittles. They've got Skittles here. Yeah. I think so. On the on the on the on the top t- of the piano. piano. Yeah. Small Skittles out. There. Small Skittles, yeah. Yeah, not like because <laughs> no, no. the Wolf's alarms that they've got a proper skill, have they? Oh, we should do that. We should go there. <coughs> um, yeah, we're going to be talking about our, I guess, our tabletop modern approach to to games and what games are good to play in the pub. Yep, definitely. Um, and also, we're going to be putting our beer choices into the hands of fate. Uh, so we're going to uh, be, be rolling a D6 today. I've got be, it in my hand right here. Because the fountain has got six beers on, on tap. Um, so Matt, do you want to roll? See yeah. what? They are all today backyard brew house beers. They did have some guest beers, but yeah, today it's one to six. Okay, so we go. Shaking. Here it goes. And it's a six. Yeah. So that's a point of divinity, is it? Divinity. Divinity. Three point six, so it's a nice light one. That's good. We can have a few then. And Matt, do you want to just point out the price of a pint of divinity here? <laughs> two pound fifty. Two pound fifty. So if you're listening in London, that's we're really sorry. Two pound fifty. <laughs> okay, so uh, Matt's off to the bar, so we'll be right back. Okay, so Matt's back from the bar. He's got two pints of of divinity by Backyard Brewery. Um, for the price of what was it again, Matt? Two pound fifty. So five pounds, one note. One note, yeah. Two pints. Matt, do you want us to tell us a little bit about 
about divinity? Yeah, okay, so, um... <laughs> it's, um... It's nice, it's quite, like, grassy, right? It reminds me of... So, let's say you've got grass, and then you've got a pile of grass, and then a digestive biscuit, and you crumble that digestive biscuit over the pile of grass, and then... Do you spend a lot of time eating grass? No, but I'm, I've smelt it. You know, like, a smell is like a taste, isn't it? Like the fresh... The freshness... Fresh, grass. Like, yeah, like, it's like that, with digestive biscuits and then a squeeze of lemon juice. That's yeah, what this beer's like. I'd agree with that. It's, it's got a kind of uh, dusty kind of taste. Dusty? Dust, yeah, you know, like... Um, the nice one, like a, it's not dry. It's like, not, like the desert. Hmm. It's, it's, we should say that we are recording this on the hottest day of the year so far. Yeah. What, we is, have, it, what is the day? It's just. Do we need to say that? I don't Six, know. Uh, right, right. Move <laughs> on. Move on. Um, and we probably are suffering so, from dehydration, so yeah. we might just babble. I just need to make out that I've already had two pints before this third pint because I needed to get well lubricated to be able to talk to you, the audience, like this. So, Matt, moving swiftly on from that, um, what would be the the board game that you would pair up with Divinity? Um, I would probably... The game that goes with the Backyard Brew House pint of Divinity would be... Mysterium, perhaps. Good choice, Divinity, Clairvoyance. Yeah. Uh, so, for you listeners who don't know the game Mysterium, it's a game that one of the players plays as the ghost, and the rest of the players play, play as famous um, psychic detectives. Potentially uh, quite rubbish psychic detectives. Potentially. Well, that depends on the players who are playing it, you know. Mm. Um, so, the ghost. He knows he's been murdered in this house and the psychic detectives turn up and they need to work out who was the killer, what room it was in and what weapon. Very similar to Cluedo, but the game's just a lot better than that. So how do you, as the ghost, how do you communicate to the... Uh... Well, you're not allowed to talk to begin with and you, you have to... Um, the only way you can communicate is by giving cards of... Illustrations, very random, surreal illustrations. And they're like the dreams, aren't they, of the, the, they, the clairvoyant's dreams communicated y- by the ghost. Yeah, it's so the kind the, of theme, I think. I think the ghost plants dreams in the, the clairvoyant's heads kind of yeah. thing. Uh, so, yeah, if you've got somebody playing the ghost who's off the wall, then it becomes very strange. But, like, that adds to the, the game, you know, the, the idea. And, and, and bear in mind the ghost hasn't got a massive choice of cards to play with at the time. He gets seven, I think, or something like that, or is it a bit more than that? I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's got, there's a big deck of cards to play with, but at one time there's a, the ghost has only got a certain amount to play with, and therefore he has to pick cards that suit the suspect, suit the location, and suit the the weapon that it was used, and it's, it, can, it can be very difficult, but it's a great game, and that was the game I would pair with Divinity. But we have a bit of a squabble about Mysterium, don't we? Because I've got the Polish version, the original version. And I've got the better version, which is the... Uh, <laughs> um, like Asmodee version. Asmodee version, yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's just got nice components, hasn't it? You say the artwork's better in... Uh, I like the artwork in the original because it's so it, strange. I, I, yeah, the artwork in the Asmodee version is good as well. It's a bit cartoony, but in a different way. Like I don't think it's as cartoony. It's not like, you know, it's not as cartoony as Mechs vs. Minions. True, true. There are spectrums of cartooniness. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of cartooniness. But you love Mysterium, the kind of remixed Western yeah. version. I mean, I just love that player screen and the fact mm. that he's got the little bits behind it that you can put the cards in and the little plastic like. And we are definitely fans of extra gubbins in our board games, aren't we? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I, I, I don't think I've ever told Matt this, but I did buy Pandemic twice because uh, the Pandemic version I got came with plastic, like um, pawns. Yeah, plastic pawns, and I didn't like that. You know what keeps me up at night? Plastic pawns. Plastic pawn keeps me up at night. My Pandemic On The Brink expansion has plastic pawns. My Pandemic base set has wooden pawns. Yeah, so you can mix them together. And it makes me shudder. So uh, uh, my sister might listen to this eventually, I doubt it, but um, she's into board games too. So what I did was I bought a second-hand version of the game online oh, sorry on ebay and i swapped the pieces around i actually took the cellophane off and everything so my sister i got i gave her a christmas present of pandemic it had already been opened because i swapped the pieces over so she got the plastic pieces and i got the uh the wooden pieces that's that's uh that's that's good that's taking advantage of what? your uh I the family love for board games. Well, see, I just wanted the right pieces for the game. Yeah, and I still can't sleep at night. Um, so, could you play Mysterium in the pub? Uh, I don't. Well, not really. I suppose you could if you own the pub and there's nobody else in it, but it's kind of like. It, it's not the most pub friendly game. But So, one thing we're going to do each month, hopefully, if this lasts beyond the first podcast and me and Matt don't fall out over which version of Mysterium is best. Um, is we're going to uh, pick our pub game of the month. So, you know, the pub here, as we said, have got a range of games, but none of the games that we generally play. So uh, our pub game of the month this month is... Hive. So Hive is a two-player game. Yeah. Uh, a tile tile placement game, I guess you'd say? Yeah. Or stone peak placement, it depends what you call them. They're like more than tiles, aren't they? I mean, like they're made of bakelite and they've got a nice quality to them. They're hefty pieces. It's a kind of older game, it was published in 2001, uh, designed by John Yarny, who also illustrated it, uh, published by Gen 42 Games in this country. Right. Um, so, yeah, one kind of major advantage of uh, Hive is you don't really have to worry about spilling beer on your pieces. It's not cardboard, no. It's um, it's bakelite, and it doesn't absorb the beer. It, it you can quite easily brush it off. It, you can actually play in a pool of beer without any problems. You, you know could play it in a swimming pool. Well, I think it'd sink, wouldn't it? I don't know. Would you, you play it on the bottom sink? of? Does bakelite sink? I don't know. I've never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could play it on the bottom of a swimming pool or a paddling pool. You could. You can play it on the beach. Yeah, you can play it anywhere. So you can play it in the gravel outside. And we played a game of it earlier, didn't we? Uh, we did. We played a game, and I won. Yeah, as I entirely expected. But, well, I don't know, last time you beat me. But What's the playtime on it, Matt? Well, it depends. Like, I've had games that last, like, five minutes, but then I've had games that last, like, half an hour. 
just kind of depends. I mean, half an hour's pushing it. I'd say on average, it's probably a 10 minute to 15 minute game. So could you play it in the time it would take you to drink a pint? Yeah, well, my my um, pint, my miles per hour, what's it? Pints per hour is actually <laughs> a pint per hour. That's my, that's my sort of nice supping rate. If I'm on a, like a, on a night out or whatever, it's a lot quicker, but... Is that when you're chugging Stella's? No, 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 not the Stella. I don't drink any of that fizzy crap. So Matt, going back to Hive, um, let's talk a little bit about how the pieces work, how they interact with each other. So each piece has its own type of move, a bit like chess. Um, So for example, the grasshopper can jump across the Hive and go to the other side of the hive. Yeah, and the yeah. ant, that can go all the way around the hive, as many moves as it wants. And we should say here, all the pieces are insects, right? Yes, they are all insects. Well, apart from the spider. The spider, yeah, an arachnid. An arachnid, yeah. Not an insect. So it's, uh, it's an insect arachnid filled game. I always think that the spider's a bit of a boring piece because it just moves through. I think uh, it's how you use it, like, and... Um, I don't find a problem with it. I've I don't think I've played enough to know the nuances. I really like the ant. And the ant it's underestimated, let's say, the spider. And I think that's its uh, benefit, you know. If you're a less um, seasoned player, you'll yeah. think that the spider is crap but, and it'll sneak up on you and bite you in the ass. Yeah, and you don't want to be bitten on the ass by a spider, right? Well, not a black widow, but no. a common house spider in the UK is pretty okay. Um, so, we should say that we're playing the pocket version of Hive. We are playing the pocket, which is your version of Hive. Yeah, well, it's Katie's, my wife's version of Hive. Um, and you've got the the original version, haven't you, which has got the bigger tiles. It's got the bigger tiles, but it doesn't have the mosquito or ladybug or ladybird in this country yeah. tile. Yeah, which had, we played with them for the first time today, didn't we, the mosquito and the ladybug. And I was still figuring out how they work, really. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't even put my mosquito tile out today. Um, I just used the ladybird, and I found it to be quite a nice piece to use. Mm. I think it was interesting earlier, you were saying that, like, Hive makes you think of a game that could be played in a science fiction film. Oh, most definitely. Like, imagine a 70s science fiction film, and there is a bar scene, and you've got two old geezers supping some alcohol from a plastic cup in a bar and they're playing some weird game with hexagonal tiles this is the game I would be playing I really like that also it feels kind of ancient at the same time like well yeah you know it's it just feels like a traditional game that we've never come across and the tiles when you click them together feel like stones yeah it's really satisfying we call them tiles I actually think they're probably better referred to as stones because they've got that stone quality to them so what, what keeps you coming back to Hive, Matt? What do you enjoy, like, strategy-wise? I like the... It's quick to play. It's got a decent amount of strategy. You know, you've got, like... Um, you know, like, it's, you get the same pleasure as people who play... You know, what you'd get from playing chess. Or dominoes, know. perhaps, domino- as a traditional pub game. Yeah, 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 dominoes. It's, it's a cross between dominoes and chess. I would put it right bang in the middle of those two, definitely. So, Matt, do you recommend Hive as our first pub game of the month? I absolutely recommend Hive. I think it's an amazing game. Uh, one of the main things we want to talk about today, apart from our pub game of the month and introducing who we are, is uh, the UK Games Expo, which happened a couple of weeks ago. Last year, that's right. We both went to that. We both went on the Sunday. Yeah, and you went on 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I did, for my sins. I so what were you doing there the other days that I wasn't there? I, uh, I entered the X-Wing European Championships, uh, which was the first ever European Championships. Um, really, it was the first one, the yeah. X-Wing, in this country? Like The first European being, Championships, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there have been nationals before and uh, different kinds of tournaments, but it was, I think there was nearly 400 players. Uh, okay. But we'll come back to that. So I want to talk to you a bit more about the Sunday that we... Right, yeah, there. so um, I've, we've been going since 2014, I think. Yeah, this is our third one? Well, one of the, we've been going since... Or even fourth, yeah. I think it might have been, been the fourth, yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's got bigger, it's expanded, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I found it to be better for it I thought that um, do you mean expanded in terms of space yeah the space like it used to just be in the Hilton Metropole yeah. hotel and uh, it was quite cramped there was lots of um, um, spaces where they sold games you know um, it was a bit of a sweat fest wasn't yeah, it yeah sweat fest and you know people were just like sitting on the floor playing games and like sitting on any random seat you could find and so what I found nice this time around is that it's just more spacious like when I was walking around the retail halls and stuff in the NEC in the NEC yeah because it's moved to the NEC I just it was it was easy it was nice I mean but my experience from this year 2017 was the Sunday so I have no like, I don't know what it was like on the Saturday by all accounts Saturday was, was massive compared to the other two. it was but it still felt quite comfortable from the time I managed to spend in the hall when I wasn't pushing plastic spaceships around <laughs> right, okay and um, yeah it was it was really nice you know I've got really fond memories of like our first expo I remember buying um, pandemic and I bought Paragrid. You know, and it was really and nice. And Adam bought uh, Carcassonne. Yeah, Adam, are the member of Out of Hand Games. Yeah, he's yeah, probably yeah. Not here today. Uh, he's not dead. He's just not here. He's just, he's just got, he's just had a kid. So you know, there's not time for podcasts in the pub on a Saturday. Got enough time for board games. So you know. But yeah, it was a, it's a lovely experience. You know, to meet other people and kind of being amongst people who are playing games and that's only grown really I think over the last few years hasn't it well I think we joined the hobby at the beginning of its like um, golden, golden age golden age yeah I think like, <laughs> I think we just joined obviously we'd heard that you know about games like Carcassonne and, and stuff but we actually got into the hobby just as it was about to explode I think I say explode in a kind of like it's not massive in in all culture like popular culture now but it's it's definitely getting bigger definitely I agree and I think you know there were games out that have been out for a few years like Pandemic yeah. like Power Grid or Carcassonne yeah. that there was a baseline of what you could get into that was quite you know these games that play in under an hour cooperative games where that really bring people together to yeah. play against the game that was really exciting for me like I'd not really played board games much as a child and you know my experiences were more like as a uh, when I was in my teenage years more like Warhammer and things so coming into it and seeing these games where you work together against the game or that are quite friendly and you can you can kind of play play while having a beer or socializing with friends that was really amazing to me and so I think that's why I always enjoy going back to the expo because it it was the thing yeah. that really immersed me in the hobby. Well, yeah, it was like 
you went and you go, wow, this is a, it's a serious hobby. There's lots of people interested in it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I loved that feeling this year of going around and having the space and the aircon. You know, being there for three days, I appreciated the kind of hangar bays of the NEC, keeping everyone cool. Um, so Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about the games that we played or? Experience? No, I want to talk about your experience um, in the X-Wing tournament. I think I'll, you know, my, our audience of zero at the moment would <laughs> be interested in in what goes into that and, and how much energy it took and just the whole experience. Really. Yeah, it was a very intense experience and I think I should probably talk a little bit about my experience of getting into X-Wing as a game. Okay, so let's talk about your experience about getting into the game of X-Wing. <laughs> So, I'm not. I've never really considered myself a particularly competitive person. Um, and X-wing appealed to me because it was, you know, I like Star Wars, but I liked the way that the miniatures move. You know, the the way that you simultaneously set your manoeuvres with your opponent, and then you move. In order, it's a very exciting game. You know, the combat with dice is really I mean, fun. I mean, like, like the miniatures are amazing. Yeah, they're come pre-painted. They come pre-painted, and if you've got like any sort of play sh- playboard or play mat that's got any sort of star constellation on it, it's just going to look wicked. It look, I mean, like you can take photos of that game; it looks brilliant. It adds yeah, to the vibe of it. You it know. does, and you know, there's. I think it's a game that can be played on kind of multiple levels, can it? You know, you can be flying Luke Skywalker in an X-Wing and Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon versus Darth Vader and, you know, and then the, 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 other, the other kind of level that game exists on is a very competitive level, which I've always found interesting. I found, like, playing in, like, shop tournaments and things quite intense. Yeah, well, I, you introduced me to X-Wing and I love it for its miniature-based game. It's like, I love the dials, I love the templates. I mean, I've never played a game that's like that, and I think it just works really well. Like, I, I, I hate when I, my, my ship crashes into another ship, and I hate when my ship crashes into, a like, a meteor. I just, you know, because it's great to glide through those things using the dials and using the templates. It's just really satisfying, and, and what I like about that, X-Wing, is that, you know... I, you're in the competitive zone now, and like I find, I think that seems quite kind of makes it a bit dry in a way. Like, yeah, like I, excitement of. I think the competitive scene is it can be very tense, and there's a lot that goes into the list building beforehand. So, what ships you're going to fly, you know, it's not always about choosing your favourite pilot. You know, flying Wedge or flying Luke. It can be about flying an obscure ship from. You know, a comic book or something. That, I mean, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? In X-wing, they need ships to keep yeah. producing to sell. So they like go Final into Fa- yeah. Fantasy Flight. Need those, don't they? So they go into the comic books and into the fictional books and all stuff. It's not just from the films. And that can be really fun, you know. But I think as the game has grown, you know, it's on its eleventh wave, as they call them, which is like the release the release cycle of like three or four ships every six months. Um, they are trying to. They do reach out to the comic books, to uh, book, you know, like novels and things, um, and Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon series, which means there are some great models and great ships in the game. 
but it, they're not the ships you recognise from the original trilogy, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then, but I think to go back to kind of that competitive level. Yeah, I think we need to go back to that because I, I want to know about your experience there at Expo. I think that's that, that's what we want to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And it was um, so I got my list ready and I was flying. Uh, so you have to set that you have to fly the same list in every game through the through the European Championships. And I was flying uh, Ray from The Force Awakens in the Millennium Falcon with the square dish. That's a big, big differential, you know, on that model. You know, the square dish versus the, the round dish. And the satellite dish is square. Yeah, that's so how I noticed that. That's how Fantasy Flight sell you a new version of that, the but, same ship. Is that using the true in the? It's in the film. In the film. Okay. I didn't notice. I hadn't noticed that. I've got Ray, and then I've got uh, Miranda Doni, who is a pilot. I'm not even sure where from. Flying a ship that is probably the ugliest rebel ship in the game, the K-Wing. Uh, it's a big bomber, it's got turrets, it hits hard, it, it can regenerate shields. So my ship, my list was kind of quite hard-hitting, two-ship list, you know, people fly swarms, people fly triple-ship lists, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so from the get-go, really, of getting to the European Championships, I was very nervous. You know, I can't help it in that situation, there's that anticipation, there's the unknown, there's you know not knowing your opponent, the, the kind of social anxiety there. Yeah. Um, I think it's very healthy to put myself in those situations, but at the same no. time it's very tricky. Yeah, and so not only did you have to face that anxiety of, uh, of, of all of that, but wasn't there a technical hitch when you got there? There was, so it kind of took an hour for the first game to get underway, you know, which you can understand with nearly 400 players and Netrunner and all the other fantasy flight games going yeah, underway. Yeah. It's, a big, it's a big operation there that yeah, they run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I walked into that hall, and that hall is probably, it looked twice the size of the retail hall. It's big. It was massive. Yeah, they play Pokemon and stuff in there as well. Yeah, and that makes it bigger. Well, yeah, like the, the, I tell you what, on the Saturday there were a lot of kids playing Pokemon. So, uh, so the first game was delayed by an hour, got underway, played a great first opponent, um, who was flying a double Jumpmaster list. Jumpmasters are a ship that's widely considered to be quite pow very powerful in the game, so you're going to see a lot of them. They're very difficult to fly against. Lost my first game, but felt pretty good, you know? Um, and then went for they announced lunch, so we go for lunch, come back from lunch after like a while, and there's more delays, uh, and more delays, and more delays. Luckily, I was with some great players who I know from playing X Wing in Birmingham. At Manorlake, those guys at Manorlake. Guys at Manorlake, and also October War Games. Okay. So I think in order to. You know, I've spent a lot of money on X-Wing, you know, and so I've been really keen to use the ships that I've been buying. So I've had to go out into Birmingham and find new places to, to to play this game. Yeah, you need to. There's only so much you can play with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Especially she when... she beats you all the time. Yeah, exactly. So she's a good, like, measure to compete against. Yeah, she's really good, and she helped me train for the Europeans, <laughs> which I really appreciate. Did you have any training music while you were doing it? Like, any sort of, like... Rocky Rogue thing One soundtrack? Really? No, 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 Rocky. <laughs> no, I didn't go into the Eye of the Tiger. You know, as like a lowly player, walking into the NEC, listening to Eye of the Tiger might have been something I couldn't live up to. I think you probably would have won. So anyway, yeah, the game, the second game kind of gets underway at 
something like half four, quarter to five. Yeah. And by that point, I'm pretty tired and a bit cranky. Uh, and it didn't really go, you know, my tournament experience didn't go so well, but they let everyone kind of uh, come back the next day to play, whereas there's going to be elimination stage. Yeah. So. Yeah. Came back Saturday, played one more game in the Europeans, um, which I lost, but it was a really fun game, one of the most fun games of Exxon I've played in a while. I really enjoyed it. Now, now, okay, this is the thing you see, like a lot of the times when you say to me after you've played a competitive game, uh, when you don't actually say anything, but then you'll tell me, oh, I just played a list because I wanted to play it for fun. So yeah. that says to me, the list that you play competitively aren't as fun. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, the list I was playing was really fun. Like, Ray is, you know, very powerful character and ship in the game. But she's really fun to fly. She's got some cool manoeuvres that she can pull off. Like, you know, looping around behind opponents. And she's got Finn on board who can help her, like... Uh, they've got, like, a cool interaction, which is, feels really thematic, you know, to the film. Yeah. Things like that, you know. And... I'm changing the subject slightly. I just want to know about your competitors and are they? Is it a friendly bunch? He's he's like X-wing. Are generally the players who play that game are they friendly? Yeah, I think I think like it's it's something I wasn't sure about when I got into the kind of. Yeah. I guess I'd almost call it like a sub-genre of the hobby, you know, like playing these games, playing games like X-wing, and people are really friendly. People are competitive, you know. People, the people, there are like clubs that where they play all the time and. They really want to win, and uh, that was kind of a real learning for me, you know. But I think generally, I'm everyone is is kind of courteous and friendly and encouraging and takes it semi seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd like to just say one thing because I know that we've mentioned this. Me and both me and Matt aren't that competitive are we we enjoy playing games but I wouldn't necessarily say we are the most competitive people out there is yeah. that true to say I think I'm more competitive because of X-Wing I yeah, think yeah. actually it's kind of like an unlocked something in me okay so I think sometimes like I really get that rush when I'm playing it I think because of the way the game works and the structure of it sometimes I like I'm playing and I can I can taste victory and it tastes good and then I lose <laughs> But yeah, it was a it was a really interesting experience, and I don't know if I would go into that kind of intense environment again. So you wouldn't do it next year? No, but I am already gearing up for a store championship next month. I think you'll go there. I think you'll do it again, and you've got a nice medal from it and everything. That's nice. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I'll treasure that forever, mate. <laughs> I think you should frame it. I think you should put it on Ralph's collar, Ralph the dog. You should wear it as a collar like <laughs> tag. Yeah, but he wasn't the champion. No, but he's your champion. I, I thought it was funny actually. The uh, not that it was. A, I didn't get the medal for being a champion, but um, I think it says uh, competitor, and I thought that was a bit of a strong word for what it was because I lost four games on one. But what was brilliant, Matt? I just want to tell you about is so at, at any point during the Euros, you can drop, so you can you can say, all right, I've had enough, and you can enter into one of the side events, which is called Hangar Bay which works in a similar way, but you just organise yourself into pods of eight players, and then you just basically keep track of each other's results together. And I got into a group with, you know, five other players from Birmingham and a couple of guys from Derby, and we played it out, and it was it was brilliant. It was so much fun, and it really reminded me of why I love the game. And I think that is the most important thing, isn't it? Like, when you can play a game that you 
are really into and you spent a lot of money and you invested a lot of time in, if you can still have a great time playing it, that's the most important. Especially thing. after like five competitive games. Yeah, and hanging about for like two and a half days. Well, two days. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Um, so let's bring it back to the expo. Yeah. Uh, enough about my competitive X-wing experiences. Let's um, let's talk about uh, some games that we tested or had demonstrated for us at the expo. So first of all, yeah. we both had a demo of Pocket Mars by Boards and Dice, who are a Polish publisher. They gave us a really good run through of the game, um, which is that you play scientists on Mars trying to set up an infrastructure and trying to terraform the planet yeah. through research. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Uh, so we have a quick run through of this, so we're not going to talk about it in too much depth, but it's for one to four players, plays in kind of like under 30 minutes, yeah. um, and the publisher describes it as a kind of uh, heavyweight filler, which I think is a really interesting term, you know, like, it's that idea of a game that you perhaps doesn't take up too much time, that you could play between other games, perhaps between other Mars-based colon colonisation. Mars. Yeah, you could play it between games of that, and the, there's another game coming out about Mars, isn't there? But, um, Portal games, is it? Yeah, so... I, I mean, like, um, you say it's a game of a heavyweight, medium game filler, but I didn't necessarily think it was, but, you yeah. know. So you think it's maybe a bit lighter than that? I think it was, like, uh, I felt it to be on the level of, like, Honshu or something, mm. but maybe that's that kind of level of game, I don't know. Like a re It's a resource management game, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. perhaps... I think it's going for the same kind of territory as like Tiny Epic Kingdoms, yeah. where you have a lot of mechanics in a very small package that you can stick in your pocket, you can take it to the pub, but you can have a, perhaps a deeper experience. Than... No, I've not played Tiny Epic Kingdoms. Are there more components in that game? Or... Yeah, although they've just brought out like ultra Tiny Epic yeah, Kingdoms, which is a pack of cards. Basically, in, in Pocket Mars, there was just... Um, Cards, cards and, cubes. and cubes that was yeah. all there was there was nothing else was and I'm always a bit of a sucker for these kind of games like games that like pack so much into either a single deck of cards or into a very small kind of box like I, I think the first one for me that really clicked was like San Juan like that idea of cards performing multiple oh, the, functions yeah, yeah, yeah. and I love that so, and recently we've been getting into Port Royal as well. Yeah. Again, no, it's one deck of cards, and they mean they're, they're your monetary system and the actions as well. And I can see Port Royal being one of our pub games of the month, so yeah, we'll move we'll on listen, from that. Listen out for that one. But yeah, I thought Pocket Mars was great, and I kind of intended to go back and buy it. Cause it was only like 10 quid. I think I did as well. Well, it was one of them. We got caught up in the rush of the yeah. uh, expo, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Pocket Mars looks really interesting, and I think from quite a new publisher. So, next up is Cities of Splendor Map, which is the expansion to the hugely successful Eurogame Splendor, which I felt like was a very accessible um, kind of entry point game, really, like a kind of gateway game to more complex yeah. games. No, uh, I'm really excited by that, because by this expansion, I, I, I like Splendor, and I have been able to get my wife to play that. And she really enjoys it, and she beats me, it, as well as Matt's wife beats him as well. So you know, yeah, we, I've we never really won a game of Splendor Matt, and I, I that's find why it very you don't frustrating. Like it. You, yeah. find it, you find that you don't like it because of that. Reason. I find it overwhelming, weirdly. Like, um, so I, you know, we talked earlier about X Wing and about me being competitive, becoming more competitive through playing X Wing. 
and I think Splendour is an example of a game where I'm like, I will feel like I'm building something, like I'm building towards a victory, and I'll be feeling really good about it, and then I'll be crushed, like at the, in the kind of last third of the game. Yeah. And I find I I, I don't always understand why, and I, it's almost like a frustration with myself when I'm playing Splendour. Um, but Cities of Splendour may open up new ways for well, me I to... Well, basically, I think it introduces four different modules, and uh, the way the guy was explaining it to us was that the four modules, they don't actually... are meant to work together. They're meant to be individual modules that you you add to the game. But as board gamers, we'll be instantly trying to throw all that, four into a game of Splendour, I reckon. I think that's what he was saying. He was saying, like, we are board gamers, we'll do what we want to do. And, uh, well, let's see. It probably breaks the game, but... Um, some of the, the the module that stuck out for me was this those extra cards like I think they were like oriental cards or something and they sort of added cards that gave you special ability so if you were able to purchase them you were able to put them into your tableau and they gave you an ability that was everlasting for that game and uh, it, it kind of enabled you to create combos of moves and stuff and I was like wow this sounds wicked and I, I, was, really, I was genuinely I, like, I was like I can't wait for this to come out it kind of for me it takes Splendour from a sort of entry level game to something that could possibly be a bit more advanced and uh, there was other modules there which were like well, uh, to be fair, I can't quite remember them. Like, if I'm That's honest. okay. I've got like the handy board game geek uh, yeah, yeah, description yeah, yeah. of them. One of the expansions was the towers, which I really liked. I don't know if it's called the towers. Well, but you thought they looked like uh, bottles of mustard and ketchup yeah, that you like, get in a greasy spoon. Yeah, uh, but so they're you, interesting because if the, so, if you if you place a tower on one of the cards, yeah, that card can't be claimed. So it's like you're you're reserving that card. Can't yeah, you? but you can reserve cards anyway. So but if you get all three of your towers onto a card, yeah, then you get that card for free. Oh, okay. So you, oh, I got you. So it adds right. another layer of mechanics to that. And then there's another expansion that adds something that's yeah. that's kind of bigger than the nobles that you can work towards, um, which I think is quite interesting. What was that expansion that was like the cards at the top? Is that is that? that yeah, one? that's the one I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember it's called. And board game geek doesn't help us that much. But anyway, like we had a very rapid kind of con- and it, actually that brings me onto a, the point I'd like to make. Really, is that we were there for the Sunday. And we were playing these games, and or being demoed these games, which is different to playing them. And one of my takeaways from this year is next year I want to go back, and I don't want to spend two thirds of the expo in an X-wing tournament. I want to be there for a couple of days, playing games, demoing games, spending more time like talking to designers or prototypes. I think we playing prototype games. Yeah, sorry to over talk there, but I think we. I've said that from two, like we went to 2014 and then from 2015 so let's try and play more games and I think we did a better job of it this time you know like each time it's been like you get caught up in the moment you get caught up with like trying to find that game that you've been after for ages like those kind of things but I actually think we did alright this year and managed to like look at what we wanted to be sourced down to some of the games that we wanted to look at and Definitely for me. What yeah, I next year do. you need to not book your holiday to clash with the well, expo. Well, I, I, I hope that it's not. Sometimes those things <laughs> are out of my hand because it's a family holiday and, you know, you've got to appease everybody. So on that note, should we talk about a couple of games that we missed that we were a bit gutted about not trying out? Yeah. So one of those for me would be Codenames Duet. 
which we saw. What, what, I remember going past it and looking at it. I think it's just the thing of being there on the Sunday and not having it that much time. Yeah, we I saw that. We all looked past it, but we didn't go. Oh, like, let's have a try that. Yeah. But there were three of us as well, so yeah, yeah. that's that, that's understandable. Yeah. But I I think that's probably going to be a game that will be in our kind of pub games of the month in the future. Yeah. Perhaps. I, no, I don't know anything about it. And I've heard that it's meant to be really hard, but apart from that, I don't know. So what makes it so different from the original game? Well, for a start, it's cooperative. So let's talk about the elements that are the same. It's still a five by five grid of 25 cards, but you're working together to try and identify the agents in the field and avoid the assassin and too many innocent bystanders. Basically, it's not that different, I don't think. I think it's just uh, it's just shifting the gameplay slightly to make it a two-player game, which I think is great. You know, Codenames is such a brilliant game. Like, we see it a lot in our board game events, don't we? We bring it out, a lot of people play it. It goes down really well. Um, I don't feel like it's a game I've played enough, actually. The last board in Brum that we, that we hosted, it... It was a game that the guys just wanted to pull out and play on their own. We'd introduced it the time before and it just was like, oh, can we play code names? And so, Absolutely. You know, it's that kind of game. It's, uh, people will really enjoy it and it's, once you know the rules, it's, it's a great game. Absolutely. So I think, you know, like if I, I can imagine like taking that to the pub, playing that, you know, passing 20 minutes with it. It's a good game. Yeah. Uh, another game we missed, which sounds like it could have been created in your brain, Matt, is Laser Riders. I don't know if you've heard about this. I haven't heard about it. I didn't see it at the expo, but uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down guys were saying that it was there, I think. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. Explain so, it to So, basically, imagine the movement of X-Wing crossed with the graphics and feel of Tron. Wow. Yeah. In a package that looks like four VHS tapes. Wow. Why, why, yeah. why haven't I heard of this game? I don't know. I thought it would have been like wired straight into your brain. So it's not a game I know too much about, but I wish I'd have seen it because it sounds. It just awesome. sounds really good. It was a Kickstarter game, but I think it's okay. been mass, it's coming to like mass market now. I've not heard about it. I'm going to check it out straight yeah. away. But also, like, I want to talk to you about Century Spice Road. And yeah, I thought you which, could maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, I, again, <laughs> very vaguely know about it, other than it kind of passed as a similar game to Splendour but maybe a bit more advanced and then I'm, I know what I'm thinking is once the expansion pack comes out for Splendour will it be you know will that bring it up to the same level as Century Spice Road I don't know I think it's funny isn't it like it's funny it's slightly strange thing with board games where there's like a huge buzz around Century Spice Road yeah and I look at it and I'm like but it looks like so many of the Euro games that don't have a massive buzz around them well I I saw that buzz. I heard, felt that buzz, and I yeah, I was not, was not, was, was no. I think wasn't intrigued to go and check it out. To be fair, like, I think it's one of those games that falls into that really neat window of like plays in forty-five minutes to an hour. Has really nice components. It's really nicely thought out. Slightly generic theme, perhaps of spice trading. Yeah, yeah. Which could be gem trading. I mean, to, for me, the thing that sells it is fact that the designers have said that there is going to be two other games that you can add to it so they're all going to be called Century something so Century Spice Road I don't know what the next one's called but it's going to be Century something mm. and the idea being that you are able to combine both of those games into make, to making it a, like a more extended and longer and harder game which wow that sounds amazing like that that would make me want to buy it but 
I just, I just want to know what the next game is going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and see how far that takes you. That sounds ambitious. Works. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always wary of games growing too much. But I guess if they've got it kind of worked out, you know, it could be really good. So maybe we'll try and review it at a future point. Well, we could if we play at Maple Mayhem. Oh yeah, Birmingham's new uh, board game cafe, yeah. where we were about. We had our grubby mitts on it, and then another group took it while we were playing Hero Realms. I think we, I think we might have been munching on a burger or something yeah. like that, so we missed it. But yeah, we highly recommend uh, Maple Mayhem as somewhere to go and play games and get some good food. Yeah. Um, we bought a lot of games, didn't we? Yeah, well, bought actually, a lot of games. I bought two games. Two games. What did you buy? I bought uh, the expansion to Port Royal, which was uh, what just one more contract, I think it's called. And also, I bought uh, Fresco. Oh, I want to talk to you about Fresco. Well, it was a bit of a bargain actually because I got it for nineteen quid. And yeah, I it's think, a big Euro game, isn't it? It's like yeah, I think I think like you know you probably expect to pay thirty four quid for that, but nineteen quid was pretty good. And I was by Queen Games. Queen Games, which aren't the best. Into, you know, it's, it's not the best looking game on my shelf. You know, Am I like, right in saying it's a game about painting butts? Well, there are some butts, and uh, if uh, you're lucky enough to remove the tile from the butt, I think you should get a special bonus. Removing the tile from the butt? Well, yeah, because the idea is that you are a uh, painter in the Renaissance period, you are uh, collecting, you're having to wake up in the morning, and the earliest you can wake up in the morning, you're able to go to market to buy the paints that are needed to complete parts of the fresco. It's buying your kind of pigments, isn't it? Yeah, you can buy pigments, you buy pigments, and also some of the tiles need um, particular colours that can only be created by mixing the primary colours together, you know, like green so and we, purple. in our madness, played this straight after coming back from the expo, didn't we? We did. And, it, and I loved it. Yeah, it, I think you, when you thought I bought, when you saw me with my bag with Fresco in, I think you looked at me and were like, you've never talked about this game before. What is this game? So where did you hear about it? Well, it was reviewed on Shut Up and Sit Down, but then on my Instagram account, I'd seen somebody that I followed bought it, and I thought, oh, that's cool. So it was like, that seems like a good bargain, and I, I quite like the idea of it. And as my wife works in a gallery, and uh, we're both into, like, kind of art, I mean, I'm not saying it's the prettiest game, it's not, like, well graphic, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit ugly, to be fair, but I just like the, the, the idea and the concept. I think for me the appeal was the kind of really elegant mechanics. Like, the, it felt like a very... It's one of those Euro games that looks quite complex, looks quite daunting when you set it up, but actually as soon as you've played a couple of turns, you get it, and there's that flow to it that is really beautiful. Like, you know, you want to make sure that your workers are going to market early enough sometimes, but then they need to lie in, and then... So you get your kind of energy back, don't you? And then you can take more actions, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's um, it's a great entry level Euro game, I think. Um, if you've got some players who maybe play Carcassonne and they're into that, I mean, I think I'd put it on the same level that maybe it could be like the a Carcassonne or a Settlers of Catan. It's it's not it's not too dissimilar from that. It's not as yeah, I kind of to me like the kind of the way it's kind of stripped down some quite complex mechanics and ideas yeah. reminds me of Lords of Waterdeep. Right, okay, and, you, uh, and I've played that on the app, but not in oh, cardboard like For us, it's become a bit of a family game. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a very, you know, 
it has a relationship with games like Agricola or Caverna that is stripped back. Yeah. And I think that's what what works really well is you know people get it. It's it's a game that looks good on the table. Fresco maybe less so, but yeah, it's a yeah, elegant game. No, I would say I would definitely say that. Like, I've seen Legends of Waterdeep and it's a pretty game, whereas Fresco's a bit bland, like you know that kind of like Euro bland looking kind yeah. of thing. I like that though. Like. I'm a bit averse to actually all these games that come out like Blood Rage and all these Kickstarter games that are like you've got to have 80 miniatures and all these interlocking tiles in a box for it to be a good game. Like I like the aesthetic of Carcassonne first edition and I like the aesthetic of Catan and things. Yeah. You know, because they look like games. Yeah. And I think that appeals to me. Should we talk about some other games before? So I bought seven games. Seven games. About all of them. Picked up a couple of bargains. Bought um, Hengis, which is a Nouveau Rosenberg game. A lesser known game by him. It's for two players from Mayfair Games. And what's the score that that gets on Board Game Geek? 4.95 out of 10. I don't think I own a 4.95. Yeah, it's my first. And I didn't realise that. I bought it because it was in the sale section, which is the sale section at the expo. Is Did you just go with the fact that it was him, you, Rosenberg, designed it and you thought it's got to be quite good? This yeah, is a bargain. Also, it was Uwe Rosenberg. It's Vikings, which is a nice theme. Good artwork. Two player, which is always important. You know, a lot. I've been playing games with my wife. The other thing was, it's got a tiny boat, a tiny Viking longship. And when you say a boat, is this like a flat boat or a? It's 3D, mate. A 3D boat. You put your Vikings in the boat. And they're not Vikings, though. They're maples. They're like pawns, you know, like a pandemic-style pawn. Oh, are they? They're not even like. They're not miniatures. Shows. Not miniatures and not like. No, cogs on maples. They're, they're like. like they're like. Pawns, as in like yeah, like, like a, they look like a chess pawn. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Um, and then your Vikings go on raids onto a coast, and, um, and kind of they can go inland and then take things back to the ship. A bit of pushy luck. Apparently, it's terrible, but what does board game do now? You know, uh, well, so well, yeah. forward to playing that. Well, I think one of the games that we've enjoyed a lot over the last year, and it's not necessarily like got a massive following is um, in Sun Tzu Brilliant. I think that's an underrated game like you know what does Board Game Geek know about like, so I'm not sure I think that's got a fairly decent rating like 6.9 or something like that but it feels like a game that when I played it like it's from Matago the same publisher who did yeah, yeah. Uh, Cyclades and Inish and yeah. Um, Kemet, you yeah. know, they get a lot of buzz around their games, and it's like a very stripped-back version of that. It's like an area control game. Yeah, it's a two-player game. No, and I actually could be a nominee for pub game. Yeah, we have played it in the pub. That's yeah, good. Definitely played it in the pub. Moving so, on. Yeah, moving on. I'm very excited that we picked up Pantheon expansion for Seven Wonders. Well, your wife did. Yeah. I think we were playing Honshu at the time. We just eating. I'd had a ham sandwich and you'd had a cheese sandwich. Very no, you, you know these details. You haven't had a cheese sandwich. Halloumi wrap. You have a halloumi wrap. Which is a cheese sandwich. <laughs> but it's like a middle class cheese sandwich. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do like halloumi. What type of halloumi was it? Shop bought. Was it like. Shop bought, um, yeah, Aldi. Aldi. It was Aldi's. So, yeah, where was I? Seven Wonders Jewel Pantheon. And have you got to play it yet? No. But, Seven Wonders Jewel, great game. Yeah, it's a good game. It's really good. I'd, I'd say if you're looking for a game to play with a couple or with like just in a two-player setting is absolutely brilliant. Lots of decision-making, sets up quite quickly, has a little bit of kind of take that and a little bit of... Uh, a lot of player interaction, actually, in how you take the cards. I mean, I know that some people find it 
compared to the original, um, a bit too take that, a bit too aggressive, but I quite like that about it, I no, don't I think don't. it's a negative point. So Pantheon adds, uh, adds the gods, and there's, some, there's this bit that, you know, from a functional design point of view I really love, which is adding the kind of Pantheon to the top of the existing board, and it kind of clips on, Yeah. Um, and the gods you can kind of activate them throughout the game by picking up certain cards that have tokens on them yeah. and then they have powers that you can bring to the bear on the game as I say we haven't played it yet we'll probably bring them more in depth no I'd like to play it I think uh, let's get it to the table soon just want to make a quick comment and that is that was it already pre-designed the game to, f- to fit that like to fit those expansions do you think like, I don't know because it fits so well, doesn't it? Like that board, that extra bit fits on to the, the like the vanilla game so well. I'm not sure because it does replace perhaps one of the weaker elements of Seven Wonders Draw, which is the guilds. Okay, so you take the guilds out. The guilds the, go out, and then there's another type of card that goes in that I can't remember the name of. But. Yeah, but what I actually mean is like physically, it sits and it sort of it fits onto that like. Um, Enemy, the, the yeah, the war tracker. The war tracker. It fits onto that quite well. Is it as if they pre-planned that they were going to build it? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if anyone knows, they can let us know. Yeah. Well, I think I think they must have known that they were going to do an expansion, and whatever expansion it was going to be, it's because it would have fit onto that. Do you think designers now, obviously, if they know they're onto something with the game, that perhaps they design games to be expanded, they hold back. Some oh, I think so. And oh, I know we've already talked about Splendor. But I feel like that's been a while in the making, hasn't it? Like, Splendor's been out for a bit. And Splendor was such a neat game that it could have just sat as it was, yeah. as a standalone thing. But maybe they knew that something like Century Spice Road was coming out and they wanted to put an expansion on that, onto their game to put it up to, bring it up to level with that. They've gone, OK, we should expand it, like rather than like build, designing it and publishing it. And maybe they were sat in a greasy spoon and they looked at the ketchup bottles and were like, ah, well, that's, that's what, what we should do. Yeah. <laughs> Do you so, reckon they were having bacon sandwich or a sausage sandwich? Because I, if it, like, I would know as a vegetarian. Man. You wouldn't know, but um, if, I would hope they were having a bacon sandwich with brown sauce or a, or a sausage sandwich with red sauce, because any other sauce combination is wrong. So if you put brown sauce on a sausage, that's wrong. Uh, it's more acceptable than putting red sauce on a bacon sandwich, okay. but putting red sauce on a bacon sandwich for me is sacrilege. And uh, I didn't know that. It's a sudden thing. Actually, I think it's more of a sudden thing. You know, down south, they put butter on their bread when they make a bacon sandwich. You don't need that, that's necessary. No, because you put the bread in the pan with all the fat from the bacon. If you're like from our area of the world, yeah. it's your butter, isn't it? You know. Or you put lard on. Lard on. <laughs> I picked up a weird bargain in the bring and buy section that I wanted to mention. Yep. Uh, which was Netrunner. A game that we've talked about for so long. Well, we haven't I done did, a demo of it. I didn't want to get into the, the rat hole that is Netrunner because... Rabbit hole? Rat hole? I'm going to call it rat hole. Can we rat call hole. it rat hole from now on? You can talk about your rat hole if you want. <laughs> rat holes are, you know, they're smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I picked up Netrunner and it was sat there in the middle of the bring and buy in a freezer bag, like a big freezer bag. 
and it just got like a, a printed off page saying Netrunner Corsair and four expansions. Well, this was on the Saturday, wasn't it? Because um, yeah, because I wasn't around, and I got a text message and a phone call. Well, I was driving at the time, so I wasn't able to take the call. So eventually, I got a text message, which was. Matt, I can get a Netrunner with how many expansions? Four, Four expansions for £20. Uh, if I buy it, are you going to play it with me? And I was like, hell yeah. Cause and like, I should probably clarify, I don't really care. Like, I'd found a bargain. So you just needed a bit of an impetus. I need, I need to an impetus. Um, and actually, yeah, like, we'll come on to this, but the Bring and Buy didn't have that many bargains I found. But we should talk about Netrunner. I already play X Wing. And we've got Arkham Horror the card game. Which is bloody hard. Which is really hard. I think we should talk about that in another podcast. We will do. We'll come back to that. But I kind of feel like Netrunner is like one of the, the kind of big daddies of the expandable LCG. Well, I think I remember when we went to the Expo in 2014, it was the game. Yeah. Like, I think everybody I could see got it in their bag. Like, And I was like, I was tempted by it, but then we weren't really sure about what was going on at the time it was quite a bit overwhelming and stuff so and we had a demo didn't we at a game shop yeah. a couple of years ago and we were really overwhelmed by it but actually looking at it now like it doesn't seem so complex and because we've no. had to move on but I am really glad that you've got some game uh, with t- like four expansions I mean like I'm definitely up for that because for me that feels like we can just pick it up play it and play it quite a bit and like get into it and then like you know we might even get our money, you know, like just get enough game out of it anyway without even wanting to buy any more bits. You know, we reach a certain point with it and we treat it as a complete game. You know, yeah. I think that's a nice approach to take with it because I haven't got the funds to take on another expandable fantasy flight game. No, um, and you shouldn't do that. I mean, like you had Doom Town and we tried to play that and it was like flopping the. That game is woods. very very difficult I think to grasp and I think Netrunner does feel slightly more uh, approachable Yeah. although you do have to get through that barrier of resing ice or and all the kind of terminology but no matter, I'm looking forward to resing some ice with you soon well I might we should, I think we should just make our own terminology okay uh, will, we, are you, will you work in uh, you're like a professional nerd aren't you so you, you work for yeah, a design we can, company yeah so. we can do some um, purging of some <laughs> PHP or something like that. Cool, I look forward to purging some PHP with you. Speak, speaking of the Bring and Buy, which we've uh, retitled the uh, Graveyard of Hobbits. Yes. Because there were endless stacks of the Hobbit board game. Didn't you have that game once? I've got it from a charity shop. But did you not take it with you? No, we left it at home for some reason. We, th- we kind of felt sorry for it. <laughs> But, I mean, I bought them that uh, Bring and Buy, and I was, I was quite amazed at the fact that some of the, like most of the games were like nearly the same price as you, well, in fact, the same price you'd pay for a brand new version. And I was like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. If you want to sell your game, you've got to sell it to price it to sell, really. Absolutely. We took six game, seven games with us and we sold six of them. Yeah. And it's because we priced them to sell. Yeah. You know. And you came away with some cash in your hand that you were able to buy some yeah, new we games got like with. 60 quid, so I picked up Viticulture. Yeah. Which, you know, is a game I'm really excited about because it's like a Sunday afternoon game. Yeah. You know, you can. I think it's. Like with Agricola, I always get frustrated is because. It a game for the pub or a game for a wine bar? 
I think it's a game for home. I think it's a game for like after a din- like roast dinner or something. A Sunday game after a roast dinner. Because well, you know, roast dinner for you is not as exciting as a roast dinner for me, though, is it? Well, right. Like, you know, veggie sausage or something like that. Yeah, or? but maybe if I throw uh, viticulture into the mix, it'll okay, live yeah, the yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. But like, the reason it appeals to me is, you know, with Agricola, you're always trying to feed your bloody family. Yeah. And there's always that stress and trauma of when you don't feed them or you get to the point of the game where you feel like you want to keep going you want to keep building your farm yeah and it, but, but uh, I mean, Agricola is too much of a game almost in that I there's two points you said there one I agree with the other I don't like I, I totally get the fact in Agricola that you've just got an engine going and it's like end of the game yeah like, I mean like that I'd like there to be like a couple of like easy level that's to, I don't know, but maybe the mechanics that'll throw it all out because if you have too much easy, then the, 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 you might all be on equal points or something. But the feeding of the family, I find that most really exciting. Like, I find that too, yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like, you know, it's not like oh god, I've got to feed my family. It's boring. It's like I've got to feed my. That's part of the game. It's like the what you know, like absolutely. It's a real. Good part, I think. I think. Yeah, and I, I wasn't saying it as a kind of criticism of Ricker. I think right, it's okay. a core part of the game, obviously, but it limits you. It restricts deliberately restricts you in what you can do. Yeah. And what really appeals to me about I've played Viticulture once um, before buying it, and what I loved about it is quite a slow game. It's quite gentle. Like it feels like you can grow your vineyard and you can add like your windmill and you can add your I don't know. You can mature your wines in, in in your cellar, and there's not that like compet- It's not quite so competitive, and that appeals to me in a weird way. Like that idea of almost spending an afternoon, just you know, in the Italian countryside, crushing grapes, lovely. And uh, do you know the difference between a French wine and an Italian wine? No, mate. We're we're a, we're a beer podcast. Well, I would just like, I will, you know, like uh, I, I had a. An experience where I had an expensive bottle of Italian red wine. Well, not a bottle. I had a glass from an expensive bottle of Italian red wine and a glass from an expensive bottle of French wine. And then the French wine is quite bitter tasting, like compared to the Italian. And the reason is for that is that the Italians they remove all the stalks from the vine from the, uh, a bunch of grapes and stuff. So it's just peeled grapes when they they mush it up or whatever whereas the French they don't care they just throw it all in so you get some of the vine still there which is quite bitterly acid oh. yeah, so you guys if you keep listening to us you're going to learn so much about wine alcohol yeah, just, yeah. Um, so Matt just to finish up what would be your tips for the expo for next year uh, okay so I think that my number one tip is take a packed lunch. I just uh, like the food. Some of it can be okay, but it's just really expensive, and you 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 want to spend that money on buying new board games. You don't want to be spending the money on food. You know, I I enjoy going out to restaurants and stuff, and enjoy trying new food. But on that particular occasion, I think if you just take a packed lunch, you're gonna get better value, and you can get more games for your money. Yeah, you don't be queuing so much. And I think they do, the, the expo have tried to move towards like a good street food offer, yeah, which I think is nice. Yeah. One of my tips would be take plenty of breaks. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the cycle of wandering around the stalls going, oh God, where's my bargain? Yeah. Where's that game I've wanted for ages? I can't find it. Try and relax, avoid overload, because you're going to see so much stuff. 
you're going to get to play so many games, but you don't want to burn out early. Um, and moving on from that, I think this is something we say we're going to do every year, which is maybe try and go for a couple of days if you can, because then that will take the pressure off of having to see everything. Yeah. Going just on the Sunday, it's nice because it's quite relaxed, but at the same time it finishes at four and you can't get everything in. Yeah, it, it's really nice to be able to go there and like I think on the Friday and the Saturday they're open really late till 12 o'clock at night or something. So, you know, it's a full, like get your new games and then you can just go and sit down and play them and speak to people who are into, into the hobby as well. It's, I think, you know, that's something that we don't do as much and I think we've, you know, we've been talking about it a lot and I think we, you know, that's what we'll be aiming to do in the next time we go, um, is just, just play games more than, you know, go looking for games. It's just like... Yeah, that. than the, the commercial dream of just wandering around the shops. Yeah. Uh, and if you are going to buy games, I think it's important to take a shopping list. Know what you want. Yeah, definitely. But be and a, maybe keep a bit of budget for games you play or have demonstrated to you, like Pocket Mars. Yeah. Just in case so you see this something. If a game that you've been really wanting to get and it's on your shopping list, check out how much you can get it for online. And then if you can get it cheaper while you're at Expo, then buy it, yeah? But also, like Matt says, if you come across a game that you've not heard of, that you, you, you know, you've play-tested it and it's bloody good, just invest in it, you know. You don't have to listen to what Board Game Geek says or any other reviews. So if you're enjoying it and it's your cup of tea, then buy that game. Just so you guys know, the next uh, UK Games Expo is next year. On first is it next the... year? Yeah, funny enough, that's an annual event, it's next year. It's 1st to the 3rd of June 2018, um, and we hope to still be doing this. And if you've made it this far through the podcast, podcast, thank you for listening. Um, we really appreciate you putting up with us rambling through our first episode. And uh, we'll be back next month, hopefully, with another one. Yeah, uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to doing the next one. And if you want to keep in touch with us via social media, you can find us at OutFanGames on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Facebook. Uh, you can also follow me at BoardingBrum uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, get in touch, tell us what you thought of the podcast, and give us any tips for, for next time. We'd really appreciate it. And yeah, happy gaming. Yeah, try.